You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And welcome back. Another edition of the Announcer Schedules podcast. This is our standalone conversation. And Phil DeMont Mollen, I'm your host, Mike Gill. Phil, we got a great conversation coming up. Sean Grandy is the voice of the Boston Celtics. So we're going to get into the rigors of an 82-game season. But we saw a tweet from Sean the other night that really drew our attention because Sean does more than just the NBA. Uh, you might recognize him in the MMA world, the voice of Bellator, one of the voices of Bellator. And he put out a tweet that really caught our eye. So we're going to bring Sean in to uh, tell us a little. Because we've been talking a lot about announcers traveling. And I don't know that there's any more traveling than what Sean did the other night. Yeah, th- this seems remarkable. I can't wait to hear all the details from Sean. Um, you know, his tweet, how it started on October 30th, 12.10 uh, a.m. in uh, Milan, Italy. And then how it's going um, that evening in Boston. Um We've talked about a lot of announcer travels and, you know, kind of the rigors of that and, you know, the the uncertainty at times and really looking forward to hearing the details on this particular trip. Well, let's get into it. Sean Grandy, the voice of the Boston Celtics. But on this uh, particular night, it was October 30th. It started in Milan, Italy. I was just in Rome, by the way. Very pleasant. It was very hot when I was there. Hope it cooled off for him because he had a long night in Milan, and then he ended up in Boston, Massachusetts. Tell us a little bit about it, Sean Grandy, at Sean Grandy PBP on Twitter. How it started, how it's going. Sean, how are you? Sounds like a 30 for 30, doesn't it? When you say, <laughs> what if I told you? Right, exactly. Well, we talk often. We chronicle a lot of the travel, how we take for granted that you guys get from here, there, everywhere without skipping a beat, especially guys who do multiple sports on multiple beats. It's one thing if you're working with a team and you're traveling with the team, you're getting there. But if you're doing multiple things and you're doing the travel, and this actually, how did you get from point A to B? Tell us about the day. Here's the strangest part of all, by the way, when it was over in Italy, in Europe, they changed their clocks a week ahead of us. So the extra hour, I'm going to get it twice, which means I'm going to be an hour older than all of you by the time this weekend is over because I'm getting it. I got it last weekend in Milan waiting to get in that day, October 30th. They changed the clock. So I'm completely I'm like, you know, uh, Doc Brown here. I'm like, <laughs> I, I have an extra hour somewhere. I got to come back. The whole universe will be destroyed. This one was I used to do it more often than I care to remember because for two years I did Bellator full-time when we were on spike and it was the schedule that eventually beat me to death where I, I literally just couldn't do it anymore. That when they started adding European shows, it became impossible and you'd have weeks where they generally did two. We did two at a time. We do a Saturday show in Torino, Italy, and a Friday show the following Friday in, say, Budapest. Because there was more money overseas, and they would, you know, we'd do some shows in the U.S., and then they would, hey, there was a big market overseas for MMA. 
Great. So the entire crew would go to Torino, Italy, and I would join them from wherever I was on the road. And then in between, while the rest of the crew would go from Torino to Budapest and they would take the train through Europe and they'd get, you know, see Prague and, you know, have do sightseeing, I would fly back after the show to the States, do two or three more Celtic games in San Antonio or Atlanta or Boston or whatever we happen to be. And then I would fly red eye back to, you know, get to Budapest, fly overnight, get to the hotel just in time to meet everybody to go over to the arena to rehearse the show, you know, in the afternoon. And eventually that was, that was adorable at 25. You could do it at 35. Uh, I was probably, you know, I was in my forties at that point. I'm like, no, I, I couldn't do it anymore. I had this adorable picture of my son who was three or four years old at the time at wheeling my bag to the elevator. Right. And it was just really cute picture. Cause he wanted to help. And then the picture stopped looking cute to me <laughs> constantly taking me to, to go somewhere. Um, but this one in particular was a matter of having done that. The reason I bring that up from a few years ago, I, I've done this. I know it. I know the plane routes, right? Because you know, once you're a one airline person, you know what can be done. And, you know, with Celtic games, I've done 2,000 of them, uh, particularly on radio. So I knew that I, if I landed at 2, I could make a 6 o'clock game. And you, you walk in and do it. It's actually – it was – there's many nerve wracking moments, right? When your Uber driver who doesn't speak English has the, the highways closed on Sunday morning at 4 a.m., which might have been 3 a.m., depending on the clocks, thus <laughs> causing the confusion. When the Uber driver looks like he doesn't know where he's going on the way to the airport, you get uptight. When, you have, when the thing says go to the counter instead of being able to check in on your phone and you hope the nice Italian people at the Milan airport can get you on the plane. When you're changing planes in Amsterdam and you go, go through a second customs check, Here's, by the way, here's a true story when I knew I had to walk away from Bellator the first time in 2017. I've been to Amsterdam now nine or ten times. I've never been out of the airport. It's an awesome <laughs> airport. It's my favorite airport. But I got recognized by the customs agent at the airport in Amsterdam, not for being the Bellator guy or for being a Celtics guy, for being a play-by-play -play guy. I got recognized by the customs guy because I had been through there before. <laughs> well, I had, like the first time I went, I had some sort of incident like with the passport. And they had to correct it. He's like, "Oh yeah, you're the guy that does the fights." Right. I'm like, okay. Well, my, so, and, my, and I get home, and my own, my own thumb is like, "Are you? Are you dad?" <laughs> well, I just went from Rome to Croatia to France to Ireland, so I know those airports could be. Not the most timeliest getting on and off. Going through those custom checks are rough. But I also would call MMA fights, and I know how much preparation goes into those things because you're dealing with a lot of guys. Now, I'm doing it at the regional level, but you got to get there early to find out who these guys are, who's making weight. You're sitting there. There is a ton of prep for a fight that I don't know that people – I never did it before. They call me, hey, man, we're going to pair you up with CM Punk. He's going to be your color analyst. Okay, I got to just meet him and get his feel. Then we talk about the broadcast. Then we're talking about the guys in the fight. I mean, there is a ton that goes into preparing for a fight. I can't imagine preparing for the fight, going through the customs, and then getting back for a Celtics game in the same day. I can't sing or dance, right? 
This is what I do. This is all I do. By the way, and of all the things I've been able, lucky enough to do over the years, you are one up on me because the one thing that Punk and I have never been able to get done is coordinate being in the same place at the same time so he could be a guest analyst on uh He's uh, really fight. good he on the fights. He's the best. I mean, he's. The, I met him, uh, I got to say, it was, about 10, it was about 10 years ago. We'll DM once in a while. I hate that people say, oh, yeah, he's a good friend of mine. Like, we DM once in a while. My wife did a story on his wife because she's involved in that, the reboot of, uh, of Women of Wrestling, the thing out in L.A. with David McLean, whatever. And my wife did a story on her, um, which is never, as I told him, it's never, when the wives get together, it's never, never works out well, generally for the husbands. But uh, in this case, it did. Uh, and the funny part was we finally had it coordinated when he was training in Milwaukee at Rufus Sport with yep. Duke Rufus. We were going to Milwaukee, and we finally were like, hey, this one might work out, where he's going to be in Milwaukee and I'm going to be in Milwaukee. And then the world ended and the pandemic hit. And that was the night we were sent home from Milwaukee two years ago. So right, we never really, never really had it happen. Uh, MMA, in this case, there were most people see the four fights that we do on the quote unquote main card on TV. We had 10 prelims to do. Right. So you're seeing four fights. You're preparing for 14. And I found even, you know, even at the at the big league level, at the, at the UFC and a Bellator, the regionals too one of the things when i made the leap into it in 2015 and it was a leap of faith because i don't say i wasn't a fan but how much ram do you have how much time do you have to watch every single thing there is to watch so i had a vague understanding of the sport but it was a and i tell everybody this do something out of your comfort zone jump out of a plane jump off a cliff do something crazy i know where i am with the big four sports I know, I know who I am in this world, but I doing something completely new was that's the real test of yourself as a announcer as on a lot of levels. And then when I jumped in, one of the really fascinating things about it was talking to the fighters, particularly on the prelim card, because they're, they have jobs, right? And that was a lot of Uber drivers slash MMA guys. Well, we had one of the, I mean, look at the story. It was when Matt Ryan, who was, who hit that shot for the Lakers the other night, who was with us last year. And he, during the pandemic, he became an, you know, he was an Uber Eats driver, right? And he was doing all this stuff. And look at the story that's become. MMA is just dotted with stories of men and women who are working full-time jobs and their parents, and they go and they train at night for, you know, and they're fighting these fights for very little money with the chance, the hope of making, because that money, as everybody knows, is starting to become an issue now with the UFC and things like that, fighter pay, that, even at the very tip-top level, it's very difficult to make. So you can imagine these prelims that we're talking about that none of you guys ever see. Imagine what the men and women are making or not making to be in those fights just to, to chase a very crazy, very difficult, and often very painful dream. Sean, really appreciate you providing this much detail to our listeners. And back to that trip to, to Milan for a moment. Was there a backup play? plan in place you know whether it be at bellator or with the celtics if for god forbid you know you did get held up there's always a backup plan with the celtics and i have obviously now this year this was the year that was with the celtics that was sort of has been coming for many many years the inevitable year where mike gorman has done tv forever was in fact the, the pandemic sort of prolonged mike 
as the full-time TV guy because he's sort of done traveling as he should be because he's a grandfather now and he's done everything there is to do. And he, what does he need to see Sacramento again for, right? Like, or the entire tour that we've all been doing over and over again. It's one long day. It's the same cities and the same flights and the same everything. So now it's critical that I have a backup in place because I'm doing TV for most of the road games. So now we have at least have more of a organized system in place, but yeah, people are, People are prepared, but there's between doing Bellator the first time, uh, you know, I, I fly a lot of commercial flights. Now, if I have my son, you know, I have my son half the time, like a lot of people do. So if it's an opportunity, if it's traveling with the team and staying at the fancy hotel, the extra night versus staying at home with my son and flying commercial the next morning, my younger self is like, what are you, what are you talking about? You're go with the team. You're going, but I don't do that anymore. Now I fly commercial a day off. So there's a lot of that built in, uh, excitement about airplanes and and things like that and would be remiss not to ask you about your longtime partner cedric maxwell you know such a great personality and so forth tell us what it's like having a partner for that many years that kind of chemistry that results i'd imagine you guys almost read each other's minds at some point which is a real benefit when it comes to radio as i often he'll say he'll start to say sentences and i'm like no i meant sandwiches but it is a he's the one who called me because I was doing TV in Minnesota and got offered this job a couple of times and turned it down. This is 2001. And it was the call from Max to like him getting involved in the recruiting that really started to turn my mind around to this could be something like this. You know, there's sort of a, a, a country city thing. There's a little older guy, younger guy here. There's the, you know, beloved figure and the smart ass from New York. We've traded the baby face heel role several times, you know, throughout the course of the year, because it's much more fun to be the heel uh, as everybody knows. So we have just, we fit together right away. And the comfort is well, there's some book. Brad Stevens is always coming out to me. Like, oh, you should read this book. I learned this thing from this book. I'm like, when do you have time to read anything? Yeah. Who's time to read? I'm like, I'm barely, you know, I rarely read game notes. I have time to do that. That, you don't become an expert at something until you do it a thousand times. So the, the repetition obviously matters to where you're, you're so solid on your feet in calling the game and the format of the show, whatever the, your particular show is, that when you have a partner like that, that you can just walk in and do it. Like, I don't have to talk to Max. Max and I could go a year without talking and just walk in and do the game. You can't do that. If they call me and say, hey, we need you to do a Fox game on Sunday and you're doing it with whoever, right? You can't, there's so many unknown elements to that that when you're walking into it. If I slide over to the TV side, where are the commercial drops? The answer to that is everywhere on the TV side, but where are the commercials? Where, where are we doing this in the format? Where coming out of this break, you're not, you're not on your ice skates yet. You haven't, you're not racing up and down the ice playing a full shift because you don't have your legs yet. You know, that's the difference between being able to walk off a plane from Milan, Italy, when you haven't slept and you got an aisle seat and you, you know, all this other stuff and being able to snap in and call the game because all of the other elements of it, you got to be prepared. You got to figure out a way to watch some of the game you missed when you were in Italy. You got to update all your charts and I'm a, you know, I'm famously a late night person anyway, who the only thing I hate about my job are afternoon games. That's like my, my kryptonite of the early games when I have to get up early, but all the other stuff, you've done it so many times. 
is it easy to do it? I don't know if it's easy or hard. I mean, there are people that have that really have jobs for a living that have to work hard. And yeah, I put a lot of hours in and I get up early and I kill myself with travel. But at the end of the day, I'm I'm calling games. So it, it can be done. I think it's there are a lot of mental gymnastics to it, but it's uh, you know, it's not like I flew. 4,000 miles and didn't sleep and got the extra hour or not and went through Europe and customs to go in and then guard, you know, Bradley Beal for 30 minutes. I'm just calling the game. Yeah, well, you know, an 82-game grind, and you're not just grinding through the 82 games. You're here, there, everywhere. I Kind of can you give the people listening and broadcasters out there what it's like to be a daily play-by-player in a professional sport, you know, and you, you know, here in Philly, you know, I know Tom McGinnis pretty well. He's got no one to call the game with. I don't know how he hangs out on the road by himself. Sometimes you at least have someone to travel with, but that, that, that's gotta be a very interesting dynamic and existence of just being, you don't know where you are. You don't know what city it is. You say you're a night owl. You don't like afternoon games. I don't know what time it is. There are different definitions, right? Of the walk of shame next morning. Mine in my world is the walk to the uh, after you get up in the morning and you go to the super. If it's a back to back, get up in the morning and maybe you're going to the supermarket or doing whatever you whatever your habits are, going to get breakfast, walking back to the front desk of the hotel, not remembering what room you're in because you've been in so many on the road. That happens. It's happened more than more times than I would admit that it's happened. There is the five to 15 seconds when you first open your eyes of what city am I in? Because we're flying, you know, you're flying late at night and you get to the hotels. That's what you were saying at the beginning about the travel. And yeah, I'm, I'm famously a night person, but people don't understand. Sometimes they'll send you an email like, Hey, can you have a meeting at, you know, can you come to this breakfast thing at nine in the morning or can you, can I call you at nothing? No, no, you can't. And here's why, because people see us the next night and they think we just beamed there. You know, ever you you go to bed, you turn off the TV and you turn the radio off or whatever, and you don't realize that it takes three, four or five hours to get from the arena to the next city where you're going and you're going to the air. And listen, we travel. Great. We're traveling on charter planes. We're staying in nice hotels, but you still have to travel and you still have to get there. So you're not getting to where you're going until two or three in the morning. As we're talking tonight, in theory, the easiest trip there is, is Boston to New York which is what we're doing tonight. We've done this back-to-back for 20-something years, the Friday night game in Boston, the Saturday night game in New York. and But we still won't get to the hotel. You land in Newark. Anyone that – doesn't matter if it's 2 in the morning. You still have to get from Newark through the Holland Tunnel right yeah. into Manhattan. So it's still going to be, you know, the easiest back-to-back there is. And what time we'll get to the hotel, 1.30, 2 o'clock, you know, in the morning. And that's, again, people have real jobs. It's tough. But that's – I think what people don't realize is when we go from – Denver to Oklahoma City, they've cut down a lot on the back-to-backs, and they've realized there's a lot more information now about sleep studies and the, the benefit of it. I think the real eye-opener, in the NBA anyway, and I think it it's, goes for all sports, was the play, the level of play in the bubble in Orlando in the playoffs was unbelievable. It was the highest-level stuff that most of the guys who'd been in the league at that point had ever seen, and what was missing? Travel. Yeah. Well, it's weird. There was a quirk in the Sixers' schedule the other day. They played in Toronto on a Wednesday and a Friday, and then they played the Wizards, I guess. I don't know. The Phillies and Eagles are going on the Sixers. I didn't even know their season started at this point. But they played in Washington Wednesday and played in uh, – Washington was here or Monday, Wednesday. 
I see a lot of this happening where you're playing the same team and they're trying to – is that something they're trying to make a concerted effort for the travel reasons? Yeah, no doubt. There's a lot the, – the two-game series, the two-game baseball series yeah. um, are in vogue now. They fought against – you realize when they do it now, you're like, wait a minute, why do they always do that? We've played teams – when I was, you know, I first came into the league, it wasn't completely uncommon. Once a year, you'd have a home, what we call a home and home back to back, where you'd play Washington on a Sunday in Boston, then the Celtics in Washington would play again Monday in Washington. And you realize how ridiculous that was when you think about it. When teams, first of all, there's only so many teams, what, there's 12 or 13 teams, places where you go twice. But if you play those games, you're, you're cutting down the travel. The number of times we played two, two separate trips to play the games in LA two separate, four separate trips to play the games in New York. We had two years in a row, five or six years ago. It was one year we had where we went to Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, Oklahoma City, Memphis, and New Orleans on six different trips. Six different trips. Like as if no, the, whoever, however the schedule was generated, it was done so without the benefit of, what do they call them, a map. Like there's, you just are going, they would pair up these cities. It, it didn't make sense. So yeah, yeah, they're making a comfort. Uh, argument against it was ticket sales, right? Like let's say Charlotte is in Memphis, Memphis or is, you know, pre-job Memphis, maybe not a big draw. They're in Charlotte on a Tuesday and a Thursday. Are you going to have trouble selling tickets for that second game? That was the argument against it. But overall big picture it was just decided that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. And listen, making the schedule, anyone that's ever played, uh, you know, like APBA baseball or whatever, I said to make a schedule, right? When you were a kid with your fake league and whatever, it's not an easy thing to do even at that level, right. let alone do a major league schedule. But uh, they've made a conscious effort to have more of the two-game series. We're going to have them in – we have one in Charlotte late in the year, to, like Toronto, my teams come in. It just makes more, makes more sense. Sean, the actual basketball aside, is there a favorite location in terms of the NBA uh, road schedule for you, whether it be hotel, um, you know, just the the area, restaurants, you name it, um, that when you get there, you're like, ah, I'm glad to be back here. When it's funny, because when you say location to an NBA announcer specifically, and I think it's happening a little bit in the NFL too, location creates this sort of Pavlovian twitch about location in the arena from which you are broadcasting, can you actually see the court, which the majority of games, it's gotten really bad because it was a fateful day in 2006. We think Mark Cuban was the one responsible for it, but it's never really come out where they said, yeah, we don't, let's get rid of the broadcasters being courtside and we'll sell those seats, which obviously makes sense, but it's created a scenario where a lot of arenas weren't 
prepared for it. And so in many arenas, including my, you know, Boston has the worst broadcast location in the NBA. There's no not much question about it. And so when you say location to a broadcaster, they immediately flinch and get, get all defensive. Uh, you know, I'm a Northeast kid. I grew up in New York. So, I mean, I, I don't think the, here's what I believe because I am uh, as a play-by-play announcer, I believe in the foundation of preparation. You cannot call a good game. If you are not prepared, you cannot call a bad game if you are immaculately prepared. So therefore the same thing then gentlemen should apply to cities, right? So my view is with the information available now, you should never have another bad meal anywhere. That's just bad, bad research, right? Like those of us that are older now and we get, we have our habits, right? Like I go into a city, I want my, uh, you know, like healthy stuff in the fridge. So I know where the whole foods is. And I know where the restaurants are that I want to go. And if you're a, you know, I'm a Thai food person, if whatever you are, there's no way you shouldn't be able to, especially having gone to these cities so many times with all the information available, find, you know, places to go and things to, things to do. As I said, we're staying in amazing hotels. Uh, I'll say this and I'm not, I'm not pandering my uh, guys, but I will say that I have Philadelphia much higher on my list than other people do, because I love, again, Northeast kid. I've always loved Philly. I love the energy of it. Uh, and doing games, I always factor in the, when people ask that question, the arena environment of doing games, like are the fans really into it, you know, for better or worse, it is a fun place, a fun arena to do a game, but I'm a, you know, I'm a New York, Toronto, DC. There's nothing terribly original about it. It's just, uh, the only, the downside to it, as I said, is it does become a little groundhog day. I bet. Oh, here we are in Dallas again, and we take this route to get to the air. How long is it going to be until we get – I – well, we all sit on the plane. This has been going on for many years uh, because I'm, I'm sort of I'm somewhat interested in aviation to some degree, but also because I've done this so many times. Abby Chin, our sideline reporter, or somebody will sit down across from me, and they don't ask the pilot or the flight attendants what the flight time is. They ask me, like, what's the flight time? I go, well, it's going to be about an hour 35 because <laughs> – We've done it. If I knew some of the buttons in the cockpit, I, I could get us there because I know which way to go. Like I know that when I was living in Minnesota and Boston, I, I was convinced I could fly that route because I knew the exact, the pilot would say the same thing. We're going to begin our descent here. We're going to go over Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And we're going to come. I'm like, I can do this. You know, just give me on flight simulator a couple of times. I think I can level off the plane and, uh, and fly. And by the way, that's another thing about this travel you're talking about. It's not like I'm flying the plane. We have stories of like, you know, uh, you know, actors and athletes and even pro wrestlers back in the day, right? They'd fly themselves to these things. You know, I've never had to do that. So how hard could it be? Sean, you mentioned the broadcast locations for radio in the NBA arenas. My roots are down in, in Miami, and I was the statistician for several years for Mike Inglis down there. And when I started, we were down courtside, you know, right next to the, the Miami Heat bench. And then they moved us up uh, atop the lower concourse, you know, kind of, right in the middle of the, a lot of fans and, and that kind of thing. I know you've, you've been to that location as well from the visiting radio side. Are there still arenas where the radio crew is courtside? It's getting down to a precious few now. Uh, I think Chicago might be the last one. There's a couple of second row locations. And by the way, courtside isn't all, isn't the perfect spot either. And by the way, while we're talking and I'm answering that question, if you, I'm not sure how easy it'd be to find, but if you Google my name, and Miami Arena broadcast location, you might find the story of what happened to me during the playoffs in 2010 
Uh, I'll let you Google it and look for it. And then I'll tell the story uh, at the other side, because that caused a change in how that location was set up up there. Because let's just say, not giving away the punchline, I like to, I need to stand. I like to stand in some of these places. So A, I can see over whatever is in front of me, but B, when you come from a football, hockey background, there's an opportunity to stand. You're going to stand. And eventually one day, the, after three or four years, they sold tickets behind me and it did not. <laughs> no, I, and, and so um, you're talking about, see, it's weird. You say oh, like spots off court side up high. It happened in uh, Charlotte is one. I get it. Listen, you want to make money, make as much money as you can and sell those seats. You do it. But if you can't see the game, it becomes difficult. I do home games largely off TV, off the monitor, which I made me immaculately prepared for the pandemic when we started doing yeah. remote games. Cause I had been doing so many games, calling them off TV anyway. And I think the last thing anybody ever wants to hear is play by play announcers in the NBA who have this amazing job say, well, I don't like my broadcast location and I can't see, but it is, the idea of in so you can sell a few more seats so four more people can see the game sitting courtside and have the paparazzi watch them and be on their phones the whole time the thousands and thousands of people listening are getting a call from someone who can't see the game so you're right though about sean sitting courtside because sometimes people are walking in front of you you can't see deep in those corners the coach is standing in front of you so while you can get the sound and the feel of what's happening right there, there is a lot of blind spots. I had a lot of the irony of doing TV the other night is I was in Cleveland, which is the one place where the radio location is better than the TV, the new TV location, which they push it so they can sell more courtside seats. They've now pushed some of these TV locations closer to the basket. And what happens is you can't see the other side of the court. It's also a little farther back. And you have fans near you, and they can stand up and cheer and do whatever they want. So you're, again – Completely obstructed. From- I know. I, I I feel like in Philly they moved them to like the the concourse level. Are yep. you there? Or yeah, have Philly you and TV. That's they were they they might have been the first to move TV up to that spot. Yeah. Um, but listen, when you're courtside, the with the, the the network spot, the reverse courtside, that's obviously the place to be. I came in the league, didn't know how good I had it because I was doing TV in Minnesota for three years, and that I had the reverse network. You know location where you're on the opposite side of the court. So you're unobstructed. If you're on the other side, not to mention you talk about the fans, the coach stands in front of you. Right. So you can see, you can, when you watch games on TV, you'll see the coach and other people sort of standing in front of the broadcasters who, yeah, who can't see. Sean, I I was able to find what you were alluding to 2010, April, um, apparently a Miami heat fan just complaining is incessantly uh, that you were blocking uh, his or her view, eventually throwing a drink towards you, um, security all involved. And I guess uh, we're able to move you to another part of that auxiliary section to um, you know, not cause the you know same issue again. Um, but uh, boy, you know, as as a Miami Heat guy, I'm I'm sorry that you had that experience down there. You do this long enough, you're gonna have you're gonna have stories, right? If you have, you know. Uh, there's the old the George Costanza line, right? Where there's this one episode where he pretends he's a visitor to New York and he ends up getting the job he already has and all stuff. And you guys are nodding, so you know the episode. And he says, "There's a line in there. He goes, if you take everything I've accomplished in my life and you compress it into one day, it's pretty impressive.' So yeah, when you get 25 years of <laughs> podcast stories in one podcast, yeah, I got a lot of good stuff. So in 2006, they moved us upstairs, and you couldn't really see over if you set up your computer and you got stat monitors. 
if you're sitting down, you can't really see over that because of the angle down to the court, which I didn't care about because I like to stand anyway. So years go by and it's Miami. The games aren't sold out 2007, 2008. Eventually it was the playoffs and they finally sold the seats behind me. So, and, and Miami, as you know, though, it's not an early arriving crowd. So the game's going on. It wasn't until the second quarter, you're even aware of anybody sort of being behind you. And then I just hear this woman incessantly barking and she's talking to security and whatever. And like, well, they sold you a seat behind my broadcast booth. I'm sorry about that, but I need to, you know, see the game. And so this security guy ended up, instead of getting rid of her, they came to talk to me during the game, like while I was doing the game. So it was a uh, almost a comedic moment when Max had to take over the play-by-play while I'm talking to the security guy. And yeah, she threw a drink. Well, it was a Paul Pierce buzzer beater too. So the fans were already upset. I think the Celtics went up 3-0 in that game. That was before Wade had that ridiculous uh, game four that extended the series. But yeah, as I said, you do this long enough. MMA, I've seen some things thrown at the cage, <laughs> whatever, where you might might be friendly fire. But yeah, this was a time that we were in the uh, in the in the direct line. But they end later moved us to a different side so I could stand and have my clean view without fans, because they said they weren't selling out at that at that point. Now well, you just the, mentioned the uh, big three right then, so it, understandable yeah. how the tickets were suddenly in demand and the crowd was a little more yeah. into it. Yeah, you mentioned uh, a buzzer beater. The 05 Ricky Davis buzzer beater, is that your fam- most famous call? Only because uh, nobody knows it unless they are fans of The Sopranos because that's what they used. And I think it was the first episode of the last season. There's just this um, – they shoot this scene where somebody had to, you know, knock somebody off in a diner in Boston. And so they needed a way to – how do you make a diner look like you're in Boston? <clears throat> well, when the guy walks in – there's the end of a Celtics game on the radio in the or in the diner when the guy's about to. So you get to be, when you say, I want to be an announcer when I grow up and have a famous call, you're not thinking, boy, I hope one day my call will be the background of some guy getting whacked in a <laughs> diner. Um, but yeah, that's where that call became. It was just, yeah, I mean, there, you do 25 years of games, you're going to get buzzer beaters and close games. So it was a fairly, it wasn't a very good Celtics team. It wasn't that big a thing at the time, but yeah, you never know what lives in uh, perpetuity. I did a, movie uh it's a tim allen movie called joe somebody it's a you know very low level movie that they released right at christmas because nobody was going to go see it and i was doing timberwolves tv at the time and they needed somebody to be the timberwolves tv announcer because he goes to a game and so you're in that and i received checks for 10 or 12 years i would go to the mailbox and get a check for like four dollars and 12 cents Apparently somebody in Korea wanted to, you know, bought the some station, bought the rights to that movie. So yeah. you never know what lives forever uh, as an announcer. Everything has, every game has the seed of greatness. Every, there's the seed of history and everything you do in every game. But you, I guess you hope you end up in the background of Sopranos as opposed to what I tell young kids now. I said, your main job, Chris Rock says, as a parent, your main job, your parent is a parent of a daughter. Your only job is to keep your daughter off the pole. <laughs> as, a, as an announcer, your only job is to stay off YouTube. Right? <laughs> That's basically it at this point. In the no. sort of in the gotcha culture, when it comes to announcers, that everybody just can't wait for somebody to make a mistake and uh, you know and post it. And so you have to have a social media. If you choose to let it ruin your life, it will. But you have to. You got to find a sense of humor in it and and do your thing. That would be uh, 
the second uh, movie announcer we've had on the Announcer Schedules podcast, Barry Tompkins, of course, uh, famous for Rocky, which he told us he hated doing because he had to record the Don't thing tell me that. over tell and me that. over that and over it. and over again. He couldn't believe he remember, he told us, Phil, that um, Brigitte Nielsen messed her lines up so many times and she had like one line yet and she kept messing it up. And he was just like, all right, I'm out of here. But uh, that's unbelievable because I know her lines now. And it was 35 <laughs> years ago. You a professional uh, fighter, not a killer. I mean, everybody knows those lines. So here's how I went to. Uh, years ago, this is a total geek thing to do. I mean, I love the city of Vancouver, so I went there on vacation once, and the the world champion, the world junior championships in hockey were being played, or the you know, the Memorial Cup. I wanted to see the Memorial Cup because I'm a crazy hockey fan. So I went to the Memorial Cup, but part of it was going to the Pacific Coliseum, and I remember texting uh, or whatever we did in 2007, Bill Simmons saying, "I'm at the Pacific Coliseum. Name the two most famous sporting events to take place here." And the famous one, obviously, is the Rangers winning the, the Rangers-Canucks-Stanley Cup final in 94. But far more well-known, but nobody knows it was at the Pacific Coliseum in Vancouver. It's where the Rocky Drago fight was. Oh. So that was, I mean, of all the places to go on vacation. I'm at the Rocky Drago. The fight was was right here. Barry Tompkins, by the way, is still doing because I do stuff for Showtime now, doing yep. Bellator and whatever. Barry Tompkins is still out there. Still doing. He was just boxing. in. He was just in Atlantic City uh, last uh, two weeks ago. I, I they they reached out to. We had him on the podcast about a month ago. He was in Atlantic City doing Showbox. So, uh, Barry Tompkins. Barry. I was with uh, Stephen Espinosa. David Dinkins were on Showtime Sports, and I was with Stephen Espinosa talking about how we grew up with that. I mean, a lot of us, if you're of a certain age, and I'm 50, you had that HBO theme when I was a kid. That you know, dun 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 dun. Barry Tompkins calling those fights and. You know, I was a little kid, but the the Hagler, Hearns, Larry Holmes, that that '80s boxing era, my God, that well, was just awesome. Barry Tompkins was there for all of it. From Milan to Minsk to Boston, Sean Grandy, the voice of the Celtics, Bellator, and here on the Announcer Schedules podcast. I think you got a game tonight, so we'll let you run. We're recording this on a Friday. I think the Celtics are playing uh, the Bulls tonight. Yeah, I probably should know that, right? Bulls. Yes, we are. And then tomorrow you'll be in the Garden, MSG. Monday you're in Memphis. So uh, safe travels, travel, travel, play-by-players. Sean Grandy, thank you for being a part of the Announcer Schedules podcast. You got it, guys, anytime. All right. Thanks, Sean. Sean. His uh, glorious travels from Milan to Minsk. Phil, that was entertaining. We could have probably kept on going. Sean's got tremendous stories. And we even in this announcer world – uh, have uh, a seven degree of separation that we come together. Yeah, that's right. And um, yeah, just the, the detail that he provided, obviously that trip from Milan back to, to Boston. I, I had no idea he, he was that experienced in making that uh, trip uh, from Europe uh, back to the States to to handle different uh, broadcasting gigs, but uh, pretty awesome to, to hear all that background. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad we're able to get him on the pod. Yeah, and if you missed uh, any of our past podcast conversations, you can check out the Sports Media Watch feed. Like, rate, review, subscribe. Sean Grandy was also on not too long ago on the SportsMediaWatch.com. He talked a little bit more about his journey to becoming the Celtics broadcaster. We focused a little bit more on this travel from uh, Italy to Boston and some of like the preparation. Uh, we haven't had an MMA guy on, even though I've done it. He's done it at a higher level, and he's right. I mean, people don't understand. 
14 fights, preliminaries. Many of those guys are people you don't really know all that much about. There is a ton of prep that goes into MMA play-by-play. So really fun, good conversation. Again, rate, review, subscribe to the Sports Media Watch feed. We drop our announcer schedules podcast on Thursdays. Sometimes we'll do the interview with the pod. Sometimes we'll do the standalone. Check out the feed. Subscribe, and you can get it. Tell me a story I don't know, George Offman, and, of course, the Sports Media Watch podcast with T.J. Reeves and uh, John Lewis. Dr. John, those guys are great. Um, So there we go. We got another uh, uh, interview. Sean Grandy, the voice of the Boston Celtics and Bellator in the books. Anything to it that we want to add, Phil, before we get on out of here? Well, Mike, just real quick, you know, on Thursday's podcast, we talked quite a bit about Eagles and Phillies, you know, so uh, Thursday night football going head to head against the World Series game five. And uh, as we're recording this podcast, I know some some information has come about as far as the ratings. That was kind of our, you know, uh, big, yeah. you know, sort of um, unknown as far as, you know, what the Philadelphia fans would end up consuming. Uh, yes, John Aran from the uh, uh, Sports Business Journal and the uh, Marshan and Aran podcast uh, tweeted this out before we record it today. And uh, what we saw is, uh, well, there's Philly fans in Philadelphia. A 50 share for the World Series, a 25.9 rating in Game 5 on Fox. The Eagles game on PHL 17, an 8.7 rating, 16 share. So a blowout win by the Phillies, and in Houston, it was even a bigger bloodbath. The Astros had a 55 share, a 25.5 rating on Fox, and KTXH, I don't know what affiliate that is. I'm sure I can find it real fast. Uh, had a 1.5 rating three share for the football game. So the Texans obviously struggling through their season. They did not – oh, that is also a my – uh, broadcast a my network TV, so both games were on my network PHL 17 in Philly, and it was looks like my 20 vision in Houston, but uh, not too many people found my 20 vision. Just got a three share, a 1.5 rating. That's the local yeah. bro- broadcast, and does not count the Amazon stream. Yeah, that that's a very important point that it doesn't account the Amazon stream. You know, these are the the those local stations a little further down the dial that we talked about. So I'd imagine, you know, with the Amazon stream, you know, the numbers would grow closer. But you know, with that big of a margin, I'd imagine indeed, you know, the World Series was the winner, which is awfully interesting. You know, with the you know the the power of the NFL plus you know the Eagles entering that game seven and zero now eight and zero. All right, uh, Phil DeMont Mullen, follow him at Announcer Skeds on Twitter. That's S K E D S, Announcer Skeds. I'm Mike Gill. You can follow me at Mike Gill Show. We'll be back with another Announcer Schedules podcast. It drops next Thursday. And uh, obviously, always check the feed to see if we pop an interview in here or two throughout the way. Sean Grandy was our guest. We appreciate him. Have a great weekend, everybody. This has been the Announcer Schedules podcast. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. 
It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save 